He's Pittsburgh born and we like him that way. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere. This is the Adam Crowley Show. The Cinderella boy. Yeah. On 970 ESPN and now on 106.3 FM. I am fed up with national mock drafts having the Steelers taking a cornerback. Which is why I got all kind of excited when Ray Fittipaldo's seven-round mock draft came out today where he's got the Steelers taking an inside linebacker in each of the first two rounds. Ray, thank you so much for taking the time today, man. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, same to you, Adam. I I agree with you. uh, Let's say there are 20 mock drafts out there from national people I bet you 10 of those that I've seen have had the Steelers taking a cornerback, and I just don't understand it. They've got Artie Burns locked up for two, maybe three more years, and Joe Hayden for two more years, too. So, yeah, I, I just don't understand where some of those guys are, are drawing their conclusions. Does it irritate you because when these national guys mock that, then I'm sure in your chats and your Twitter messages are you're just getting inundated with what corner the Steelers are going to take this year. Well, no, it's it's not only that, although that that is annoying, but it's almost like you know do your homework a little bit because the people in this town are talking about the Steelers needing a safety and an inside linebacker first and foremost. And you know I get that the Steelers weren't great against the past. Um, I get that maybe Artie Burns took a step back, but I, I just I don't see any way that the Steelers are going to invest another first-round pick in a cornerback. Um, you know, I, I, I failed to mention that Mike Hilton, um, the undrafted free agent, was pretty darn good. He was um, in, in the slot this year. So there's really there's you know other than William Gay leaving and you know Cameron Sutton probably stepping into his role in the dime defense. I don't really see a lot of change happening with the Steelers cornerbacks. Now, I know that you mocked a couple of inside linebackers. Is that the biggest need for the Steelers, or is that safety? Because it does come down to those two. Well, I, I think it's inside linebacker, yeah. Adam. And, you know, safety's a, a close second. Um, you know, you know I, I made a point of, of mentioning this in, in my write-up. Um, Vince Williams, although he had a pretty good year, he's 28 years old, and he's entering the last year of his contract. Um, Tyler Matikiewicz has never started a game in the NFL. He was the top backup this year. They just, after Ryan's injury, they just need numbers um, at inside linebacker. That's why I wouldn't be surprised, um, even though they're up against uh, uh, the salary cap, if they try to bring somebody in as a free agent to bolster some depth there. If they don't, de- uh, if they don't do that, Adam, um, I think it's a very real possibility that they could draft two inside backers. I'm not saying they're going to draft them both in the first round like I had them doing, but um, I think it's a very real possibility that they they could draft two inside guys um, in late April. Now, of course, a lot of this is going to be determined whether or not Le'Veon Bell gets re-signed by the Steelers or signs a deal or gets the tag slapped on him, but uh, it is interesting to me that the safety position and the inside linebacker position are kind of the two positions that Pittsburgh has historically targeted in free agency. I mean, you go back and you look at James Ferrier. Hell, last year, Dante Hightower was a guy the Steelers were flirting with significantly. Uh, They brought in Mike Mitchell. uh, They brought in Ryan Clark. The Steelers have definitely shopped around in free agency for both of those positions. 
No, that's that's interesting that you point that out, um, Adam. And they they have pretty good success, had great success with with James Ferrier. Um, I, I think really good success with Ryan Clark, Mike Mitchell. He's had injuries and he really hasn't worked out as, as you would hope. But um, yeah, it is interesting how they've um, been willing to sign players like that in in the past. And um, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of that will depend on whether. Le'Veon Bell signs a new contract. If he does, um, you know, realistically, there's just not going to be a lot yeah. of money to go around to sign another free agent. Ray Fittipaldo from the Post-Gazette joining me here on the Crowley Show. When looking at the Steelers' needs on the defensive side of the ball, I'll agree with you. That inside linebacker position is just absolutely depleted. And it feels like it happened so fast, doesn't it, Ray? A couple of years ago, they had Sean Spence lined up, and the list goes on and on a little bit longer than that. Lawrence Timmons and Ryan Shazier were at the top of their games. Vince Williams was there. Um, They had uh, Terrence Garvin. And now all of a sudden, you look at this depth chart, and there's one guy right now that I'm comfortable with the Steelers going out there with uh, and having some success and that's Vince Williams other than that there's nobody yeah I mean Adam it's really um funny how just one severe injury can really um you know set you back and you know we we saw it on the field with the Steelers um after Ryan got hurt they just weren't the same defense and uh you're gonna see how the Steelers offense sort of revolves around that um as well it's it's unfortunate but it's part of um, being in the NFL, things change on a dime. Um, and, you know, with this injury the way it was, and unfortunately the, the lack of depth that they had, um, you know, behind Ryan, it, it makes it really the top priority this offseason as they get set to attack free agency and, and then the draft. You think Mike Mitchell will be back? You know, Adam, it's a great question. I, I know a lot of people like me who watch this team, um, you know, every single day, um, you know, our opinions are they, they're probably better off without him. Um, he, he's a descending player. He's due to make $5 million a year. Um, and I think there are some people in that building who, who think they, they would do better without him. But I will tell you this. Ever since he's been here, he's had a backer in Mike Tomlin. And Mike Tomlin is still the head coach of this team. Mike Tomlin admires how Mike Mitchell battled through injuries and, um, you know, played when he was hurt, um, you know, in his first couple of years here. So that's the only thing that's holding me back from saying, yeah, they got to cut ties with him. He's, he's just not good enough. Knowing that he has Mike Tomlin in his corner, I think there's a chance that he comes back. But based on his, his salary cap number and based on him being 31 years old and, you know, being a descending player, um, I don't think he should be back, but you know that remains to be seen. It's interesting that if he were back, because Mike Tomlin is in his corner, if he'd be able to take that secondary role if they were to bring somebody else in, uh, whether it's a rookie or otherwise, somebody who could take that starting role, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who would be mentoring uh, the young man uh, as the young man is taking his job. No, I mean, Mike, Mike Mitchell's 31 years old. And I wouldn't expect him, you know, quite honestly, to take on that role. You know, say the Steelers wanted to bring him back at $1.5 million, you know. Um, I, I think it's a situation where either they're going to cut ties with him and save the $5 million, or um, he'll be back at full price and he'll be their starting safety for one more year. But, 
yeah, I cannot envision a scenario where he, you know, he takes a back seat to, to a guy they draft. And, um, I, I just don't think that they would go down that road. Great stuff, Ray. Uh, what you wrote and what you just said here on the radio show. Uh, always appreciate the time, man. And, uh, hopefully there's a little bit of quiet uh, coming up after the NFL combine, but the NFL season never really sleeps, does it? There is no offseason, Adam. Good luck out there, my friend. Thanks again. All right, we'll see you. There he goes, Ray Fittipaldo of the Post-Gazette. Number one, one of the nicest guys in the sports media. Number two, knows his stuff. And number three, he did not mock a corner to the Steelers. Yes! And you can just sense all the local guys, they hate the fact that that's happening. Because it, it's not going to happen. It's just not. Did you guys see what happened to our good friends at WEEI in Boston? This is great. They put this statement out today. Quote, Nothing's more important to WEEI than the close-knit and diverse Boston community we call home. And we're committed to actively contributing to its betterment. WEEI is in the process of closely reevaluating our policies and procedures in an effort to ensure that our programming is never intolerant or harmful to our listeners or our city. As part of this effort, WEEI will be hosting an all-day mandatory sensitivity training this Friday, February 16th. All live programming will be suspended from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. on Friday to enable WEEI employee participation in this important session. End quote. I wish I could do a Boston accent. I can't. Stop being wankers. That's bad. That's basically what the meeting's going to be. But here's why the meeting's happening. Spoiler alert. It ain't be because of, it ain't be because of racism. No, 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 no. It's not because you had an on-air talent mimic offensively an Asian man. It's not because someone called a child a pissant. Well, it is and it isn't in both of these instances. You see, it's not about intolerance. It's not about being a D-bag to a kid. It's not about being racist. No, 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 no. Boston Sports Radio has for a long time been racist. And for a long time, insensitive. But the Asian man in question is part of Tom Brady's circle of friends. The pissant in question just so happens to be Tom Brady's daughter. Tom Brady, after the pissant statement, said, I don't know if I'm going on EEI again. Then you get some other knucklehead making fun of one of his friends. This is not about looking good to the country. It's not about looking good in the marketplace. It's not about tolerance. It's not about diversity. It's not about being sensitive to people who need you to be sensitive to them. It's about being sensitive and tolerant when it comes to Tom Brady. That's all this is. It's so easy to see through. Tom, we're taking Friday off to be more tolerant of your child and your friend. Please come on our station, Tom. Please don't go to the sports hub or whatever the hell the other station's called. Do you know what it's called, Brian? I'd like to take guesses. The, it, the sports flash. Yeah, that works. Might as well be. Might as well. Yeah. The sports buzz. You know, the funny thing here is, do you think for a second, this is such pandering. One, 
They're sitting here making it look like, oh, look, we're going off the air because we care so much. And I get you with the Brady thing, but this is a promotion for them. Make no mistake about this, because what's going to happen? You're a fan of that radio station. The day they're not supposed to be on, you're tuning in to see what the hell's going on. It's actually brilliant. So if you buy, buy for one second that they really care about this, you know, it's kind of hard to believe. It, it, they're sitting here turning something that was a negative into a positive. And, hey, for their programming department, good freaking job, guys, because that's how you turn that kind of crap around. You know, look, we pissed Tom Brady off, you know, and now now we're going to throw ourselves on the sword. At the same time, we'll get more listeners. Look at us. I wonder what they are going to put on. Oh, no, they got me too. Let's get you on. Let's get Crowley on the Boston Airwaves. They would get great ratings that day. Yeah. Because I would nuke that damn town. Oh, man. Verbally speaking, of course. Tom Brady's kid wouldn't be the only pissant in town. <laughs> Whoa. What? Well, they hiring Ben's back. It only matters if I'm you're in town. I'm just kidding. I love you, Ben. There <laughs> <laughs> it is right there. There it is right there. What are you going to do? 412 Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Incidentally, Tim Benz will be on the show tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Coming up next, you're going to hear from Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. The Penguins last night did not play well, and yet they scored six goals and one by three. So we'll talk to him about that. And I've got a really good rejection story. Poor little Crowley. No chance of getting it in. It's the Crowley Show. Jesse Marshall going to be joining me in a few minutes here on the Crowley Show. lot to catch up on here. Brian tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. I lived in New England for almost 10 years and listened to EEI. The classiness I can't read. The classlessness of that station is just unreal. This is just a way to get more listeners and to kiss TB12's ass and nothing more. Nothing but a bunch of racist dolts anyway. Yeah, you're right about that. Brian says, right now, Corona usually yingling. Different conversation we're having about favorite beers. Depending on the time of the year, the taste in beer changes. It does. Like, I love Penn Pilsner on a hot summer day. Or, like, you get done cutting your grass, a Pilsner. Oh, daddy. But if it's at night anytime and I'm just chilling, it's Guinness for me. If I'm trying to get totally piss drunk, you got to go with something lighter then. And at that point, I not going to disparage any of the fine light beers that are made in this country. I've always gone by the rule that the hotter it is outside, the crappier the beer you can get away with. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. That's a great point. Penguins won last night. We'll get to my rejection story after we talk to Jesse Marshall. Uh, They kind of played crappy for the first two periods, but yet Matt Murray stood on his head. And was able to keep the Penguins in the game. Not just in the game, but leading. Matt Murray's playing pretty well right now, huh, Jesse Marshall? Well, he's pretty good, right? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, the last... I mean, I, you know, first of all, you got to acknowledge his age, I think. Anybody has to acknowledge his age. He's not even gotten to anywhere near the level where he's going to peak. Um, and to throw in the fact that the guy just went through an unbelievably difficult situation with the passing of his father that unfortunately occurred right before the Penguins' dad's trip. Uh, I mean, like, you know, how much more can you throw at this guy? Uh, he handled, as did Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, they both handled the 
goaltending splits over the course of the last two years, like a true professionals, uh, regardless of who is in there is a good support system there. And he's only going to get better. I mean, we haven't even cracked the, we haven't even cracked the surface on this thing yet, Adam. So, I mean, to see him rebound the way he has, is just as good of a feel good story as you're going to find in the NHL this year. Jesse, you tweeted out a video of the Penguins forecheck and, Boy, did it get me excited uh, as they looked a lot more like the team that we're accustomed to seeing in that video. And you can check Jesse out on Twitter at JMarshFOF. The Penguins didn't do much of that the first two periods, no, but they did turn it on in the third. They did, yeah. And I think that Ottawa's system has a way of lulling you to sleep like that. Difficult to get through the neutral zone against them. It's difficult to do pretty much anything in the middle of the ice against that 1-3-1. We saw that last year in the playoffs. I think the key to the video I tweeted out, Adam, is, and this is also a statement about the NHL as a whole, you see a lot of teams in the NHL, Adam, send one really aggressive four-checker into the offensive zone to try to disrupt the breakout, right? So that's generally going to be that, – that pressure, although it varies from team to team uh, in the amount that they apply, that high four-checker is generally going to be true of just about every team except the Ottawa Senators, ironically enough. Uh, but, you know – the Penguins don't just send one guy up into the zone and have him forecheck at him. They send three. So there are ways NHL teams can, and, and I think the most obvious way is by D-to-D passes. If you're under pressure and you got a four-checker on you, a lot of NHL teams will go D-to-D. So now the pressure that was on that defenseman is now off, and the four-checker that was checking that defenseman has to shift and get over to the other side of the ice to now check the other defenseman who has the puck. The Penguins don't do that. If you go D to D on them, the first four checker is going to stay on his assignment, and now a second one's going to come in to take away that D to D pass and to put pressure on that second defenseman. And if you happen to find a third player in the defensive zone uh, that you're going to give another pass to, the Penguins are going to go after him too. And it's, it's in waves. I think that that video really exemplifies that. They don't ever lay off you. So if you're waiting for a moment, if you're another NHL team out there and you're waiting for a moment of solace, in your own end, to make a breakout pass, you will not find it. If you wait too long to make that pass, the Penguins are going to bury you. If you make that pass too quickly in a way you're not comfortable with, it's going to be a turnover. So how do you handle it, right? And that's the real question. How do you game plan against this Penguins team? Because I mean, the video I posted last night, one after another, and they really don't stop at them until, until they've turned that puck over. My biggest sports man crushes are coming up later on in the show because it's Valentine's Day. But there's a guy that I have a man crush on right now that I think would helped the Penguins out a lot in that regard based on his speed, and that is Michael Grabner. Uh, is that a pipe dream, Jesse? Because I would love to see that speed added to this Penguins lineup. Well, he's going to be available, and the Rangers wrote their resignation later uh, last week. I respect <laughs> that, by the way. Me too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it'd be really refreshing you know, if the Pirates would do Ugh. something like that once in a while. But, um, yeah, he's going to be available. But if you acquire him, Adam, I think you have to do it a la Mark Streit last year, where you need to find a third-party team that you can also deal with. Because, A, I don't know that the, tra- the Rangers want to trade him in the division, and, B, if they did, they'd probably jack the price up. So if the Penguins can find a third team to tango there, I think that they can make that a possibility. He certainly is a guy who would fit in a salary cap right now. I mean, the Penguins would have, with a prorated amount left on his cap head, I believe that they'd actually have enough space to pull that off. He's scoring goals like the Dickens. Uh, I... Um, personally, I just said like the Dickens, you, by the way. You I don't did. Know where... you, you aged 50 <laughs> years in this radio segment, Jesse. That's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
you look at his speed, though, and that's really the thing. I mean, imagine him playing alongside Carl Hagelin. Um, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a team in the National Hockey League that's got an answer for that. So I, I love it just because of the speed element and because of how it fits into the system. But if it's because they wanted to do it, they'd have to go about it in a very unconventional way, which Jim Rutherford has proved he can do. We talk about the third-line center all the time, but with Riley Shane playing the way that he's playing, I'm kind of okay with the Penguins going out and trying to find the best available forward that they can fit in. I think that would help the depth, and I think if you put good players around Riley Shane, he's proven that he can be a very good player. I agree with you, and I think you have to look not just at the fact that he's scoring goals, Adam, but how is he scoring them? Right, That's an important question. Remember that this is a guy who went 81 games without a goal last year. He did not score until the very last game of the regular season for Detroit last season. Uh, he started off the year this year in a similar fashion to the way he started off last year, where he just could not find the score sheet at all in Detroit. Uh, and, and you always hear the phrase in hockey, gripping the stick too tight, right? People say, oh, he's in a slump. He's gripping the stick too tight. And what that means is you're forcing opportunities that might not be there. When you get the puck on your stick, you're just shooting it. You're not picking your head up. You're not assessing the situation. You just want to get off the schneid. So you're firing everything at the net from every angle you can to try to solve that. And, and I, I think Ryan Riley Shayan had a bunch of that in him when he came to Pittsburgh. But I look at how he beat Kari Lettinen Friday night, and he comes in streaking down the half wall, cuts it on the crease, and gives uh, Lettinen the old shoulder dip, the old kickstart uh, to make him make the first move. And then Shayan scores there. Uh, he comes in um, the very next game uh, and scores again in front of the net where he outweights a goalie and makes him make the first move. These are My point here is these are confidence moves, Adam. These are moves that a guy makes when he has time and space and he's confident in what he's about to do with the puck. That was an element to his game that just did not exist when he came here. It took a while to get back, which is understandable given the environment he was in. So as far as I'm concerned, the sky's kind of the limit here. They were just kind of scratching the surface of what Riley Shane can do. And then when you add in the fact that he's so good defensively and is such an asset on the penalty kill, anything you get on the flip side of that is just bonus at this point. Speaking of confidence, it's obvious that Carl Haglund's playing with confidence. I mean, that guy has been on fire. The setup last night for Evgeny Malkin's goal was dirty, and I giggled, and my wife looked at me like she's never, ever going to want to touch me again, uh, which happens uh, every so once in a while with Evgeny Malkin. Uh, that's going to stick, yes? I mean, I would keep those guys together until the end. I would, and, I, and when, and when uh, Patrick Cornquist comes back from injury, I'd put him right back on yep. that line. Uh, that was a, a beautiful combination for the Penguins. If you think about it, it, what's crazy under the Mike Sullivan era of the Penguins, Adam, is they've, every season they've caught lightning in a bottle. They did it with HBK two years ago. Last year it was the uh, Sid and Kids line with uh, Connor Sherry and Jake Gensel with Sidney Crosby. And this year it might be that, ha- that uh, Hagelin, Horquist, and Malkin line, that HGH line. Um, that line was unbelievable before Hornquist was down with injury. They were pacing the same way that the, the Crosby line did the year before and HBK did before them. Uh, if they can get that lightning in a bottle trio one more time, they're just going to be the, the matchup nightmare that it creates is just unbelievable. And I love the brutal honesty of Carl Hagelin. When you ask him what changed for you in 2018, he says, I just skated harder. So he's not necessarily saying I mailed it in the first two months of the season, but I think. There's a, there's a, comes a point in the regular season, and this is that point, where you know you got to wake up and the games start to mean more, and nobody, I think, has had a bigger impact in those moments than Carl Hagelin has. So uh, he's back. Uh, whatever it was, the, the switch has flipped for him. 
Uh, and he's feeling it just about as well as anybody else is right now. Jesse Marshall of The Athletic joining me here on the Crowley Show. Jake Gensel had been in a slump until last night. Uh, we talked about Crosby and Malkin early on in the season and how uh, their volume of attempts was eventually going to catch up and they were going to start putting the puck in the net. Was that the case with Gensel? Was he creating and the opportunities weren't happening or was he just not playing well? I think Jake Gensel was getting the opportunities by proxy of who he played with. So I don't know that he was creating them himself. Uh, I don't know that he was last night either, I think. But for me, when I look at what happened last night and, and how he responded to his fourth-line demotion, he scored both those goals from in front of the net, Adam. Uh, and, and you don't traditionally think of Jake Gensel as this net-front presence, right? Uh, he's you know kind of a string-beanie guy. He's still really young. He doesn't, doesn't have a lot of mass on him. Uh, but he's so talented with his stick and his ability to, to, to kill pucks dead, for example, right? So you throw him a bad pass when he's kind of in the slot or in the crease area, he can kill that puck and get a shot off real quick because he's such a technician. Uh, so when you're a technician, you don't have to be limited to scoring from the dots. You don't have to be limited to these top-shelf snipes that, that go on highlight reels. All goals count, Adam. I don't care where you score them from. Yep. Uh, so for him, I think last night was just – a conversation about simplifying it a little bit and going to the areas where goals are scored and, and, and getting opportunities that way. Uh, and I think that if you think about why you put a player on the fourth line, it's, it's to kind of get those dirty goals, right? I and mean, that's generally what you see from your bottom six. So I think that was the message that was delivered to him. I think it was well-received. And uh, that was a, a teaching lesson from Mike Sullivan that did not last very long. <laughs> Jesse, I really like Aston Reese's game. Uh, you like what you saw out of him in college. Uh, he's gotten more ice time in every single game that he's played now with the Penguins. Uh, it's increased every game. Is this a guy who you think could stick on the fourth line this year or maybe somewhere else in the lineup? Because, again, I like what he brings to the table. He's kind of like a Hornquist light. Yeah, and I think the question for him is what kind of player is he going to become at the NHL level or at the pro level overall? I don't know that we have enough yet of him to know the answer to that because if you watched – him playing college in his, in his Hobie, Hobie Baker candidacy, he was a bull. Uh, he was really tough to handle. He's a size guy, like you said, very much akin to Patrick Hornquist, a little bit of an energy player as well. We didn't, I don't know that we've seen that element of it at the pro game. And he's gone from being the biggest guy on the ice to sometimes now the smallest. Uh, so I think that there's still a growth period that has to occur there, but I'm excited to see what it turns into. I mean, I, he could turn into – you know, against a like sniper because he has the skill set to do that, and he could turn into a Hornquist because he certainly has the skill set to do that as well. So uh, the, the book's not yet written on him. Uh, I, I like, I do like what I've seen. Uh, I like that he plays a good. Uh, from what we can tell, anyway, you see him in the defensive zone, uh, not wasting any time and getting involved there. So the 200 foot game is certainly there. Uh, but I, I just wonder what comes for him next, uh, and, and what you know, what the ceiling is for him really at this point in his career. Jesse, really good stuff, man. As always, uh, appreciate the time. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, same to you. I've had some bad Valentine's Days. I've had some rejection in my life. Final day of school. Eighth grade. God, what the hell was her name? I know her name. I just don't really feel like saying yeah, it on the air. Yeah, come on. What's the name? First name only. Megan. Okay. I asked her out. She said, let me uh, go grab a Sharpie. And I'll write my response on your head. I should have known right then. Go to the bathroom. Everyone's giggling, making fun of me. Look in the mirror. And staring back at me. Backwards is the word never. Because that's how mirrors work. 
And it really made me upset. Wow. Yeah. That's a harsh one, man. That's kind of a D-bag move on her part. It's a big time D. That's that that'd be like social bullying of some sort. Right now, she'd have to go to counseling for that and she'd have to see somebody to talk about that cuz you can't treat people like that. Especially now. Back then a little more they they'd let you get away with that, but that's horrible stuff. If I can ask, where's uh what's Megan up to these days? No idea. No idea. I I really don't have any idea. Uh, a different Megan at a fish fry at good old St. Bernard's Church. This time of the year always makes me so sad. I asked her out, and she told me she was moving to London. Oh, no. I then went to school with her for the next 12 years. <laughs> now she's it's a long move. She has a lot of stuff to pack. She, we wound up being pretty, I mean, not, I, I wouldn't say we were friends, friends, but we were very friendly, and we wound up doing theater and some stuff together. She wound up hooking up with one of my best friends, Dan. Not in London. She did it right there in the theater. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You've, had, you've had some bad ones, man. Those are the two worst. There's also a picture, also from the last day of school in eighth grade, where I was in the background. This is back when you did those snap cameras. Yeah, the little disposable ones. So the first day of school the next year, there's a picture of the girl who wrote Never on My Head, another couple of girls putting their arms around each other, and I'm in the background. Like, off to the side, and it looks like I'm staring at their backside. <laughs> it looks like I'm checking them out. Oh, wait, were you? No! <laughs> okay. I was probably looking at the flash of the camera! Not. Like, I was, like, in seventh grade or sixth grade. Dude, there's another thing. You'd be, you'd be, you'd be in uh, counseling for that right now if they caught that picture. You'd be well, in trouble. I mean... I was a young kid. Perhaps I was curious, but I think my curiosity was piqued by the flash, not by the butts. Yeah, yeah, no, because what what adolescent boy would look at girls' butts? Well, that's the thing that made me have to be this creep, and at worst, I was just normal. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. Your worst rejections. We also have other crap. And I think I've already done the hottest take of the day, but we'll repeat that take coming up in a few moments right here on the Crowley Show. Happy Valentine's Day. I want to get to that hottest take of the day. We'll do that in a few minutes, but first I got to hear Tom and Brian's rejection stories. Let's hear yours first, Brian. All right, mine's uh, tale as old as time. Friend zone. You were getting tail from the beginning of time? Yeah, buddy. That's not a rejection Not story. this time, no. It was a, uh, I was in the friend zone, man. Had a good friend. So, like, uh, we had been friends since we were, like, you know, 12 years old. Like, goes way back to middle school. So, you know, life goes on. You get away. You wonder about the girl who got away. So, you know, over the years, I get married, divorced, thinking about it. Have a chance to catch back up with her. Start hanging out for like over a year. Oh yeah, like hanging out all the time. You know, it's like I'm I'm thinking I'm going to Funky Town. We're just staying, keeping it slow. That's Funky Town. Yeah, Funky Town. So Pound Town. So dude, one night I I get the well, it builds up over a while, but I get the get the idea that I'm gonna just go for it. I'm gonna go full Ross on Rachel. If you're a Friends fan, I'm just gonna lay it all out. Going to stop her from going to London. And hopefully there's no Italian guys who bust their way in. Yeah, exactly. No coffee shop guys professing their love. Nothing like that. 
So I drop it. I lay it all out. This is why I like you. You're awesome. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into all the minutiae of it or whatever it was, but I laid it out. And I got, that's sweet, but I don't feel the same way. After a year, boom, dude, right in the gut. And then at that point, I'm sitting there trying to backpedal, you know, and you're like doing that whole thing where you're like, oh, it's cool. You know, I just thought I had to bring it up, you know. Yeah, it's all cool. Everything's good. Yeah, we could still be friends, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, we can't. You can't be friends after no, that. No, we can't be friends nah, after that. And back. we are not. So walked right into that brick wall. After all that year, and you know, everybody's got the girl they wonder about growing up, right? Like the girl you forgot about. Maybe not you because your wife is that girl that you grew up with. That's true. But a lot of guys out there, they have that girl that might have gotten away. The girl that they like, ah, that might have been better than the wife I chose. Now, maybe I didn't make such a great decision. Would like to see how the grass is on that side. No pun intended. So there I am. I threw it out there, dude, right in the face. And not in a good way. Nope. Not like, not like I intended it to go. Now, Tom, you've been with Emma for like 15 years. Yeah, 16. How could you possibly have ever faced rejection? You're 23 years old. You've been with her for literally nine years. That's insane. And not in a bad way. Not not like it's a bad thing. No, but, no, no. I mean, prepubescent Tom was with her, yes? No. Close, though. I was an early bloomer. Right on the line, though. You've never had time to be rejected, have you? I've still been rejected. Let's hear it. Have you? Wow. Let's hear it. Around uh, ninth grade, I think. Mm. Um, what made it worse is I was at my grandma's house yeah. with like all my family around, and uh, oh, no. man, I really, I really thought I had it in the bag, guys. And then uh, Scotty Reynolds took the ball out of bounds. He took it the length of the court and just <laughs> put the dagger right oh, in my heart, man. So and I still, to this day, oh, have nightmares of Gilbert Traffic Cone Brown. Standing at half court and just letting him blow by him for the easy layup to send Villanova to the Final Four. That's when I got my heart broken. Um, well, I can't really argue with that one. It's time for the hottest take of the day. <laughs> Pit basketball's never been the same. <laughs> it's time for the never hottest take again. of the day. <laughs> but like by a chick, though. You've never been rejected by a chick? No. Stud, Lucky bastard. First girlfriend that ever broke up with me? Name's Kelsey Brown. That's a hot name. I didn't go to school for three days. Oh, no. My mom was like, you can stay home. I told her I was sick. To this day, she thinks I was sick. So heart sick crowd. Heart sick crowd. <laughs> can I make a confession? Yeah. Emma actually rejected me the first time I asked her. Yeah! Nice. See, that makes me feel better. Same with Leanna. Yeah. I feel like they don't know what's good for them, right? Yeah, it's the way it goes. You, you gotta, you gotta get after him a little bit. First. My wife waited until the end to reject me, <laughs> and now we've hit that dark place. <laughs> Speaking of dark place, if Sean White's name was Sean Black, and Sean White were black, all y'all who neglected the fact that he dragged the American flag all over the ground would not have ignored it at all. That would have been the number one story today. Not the domestic stuff. Not that there was violence. It would have been all about Sean Black being a terrible American. And I posited that in the first segment. I asked the question, what would the reaction have been? I'm not asking the question anymore. I'm just telling you. If Sean Black had that flag on the ground, people would have made a ruckus. 
That's the hottest take of the day. You're embracing the hotness of the take this week. Mm-hmm. That's the second hottie hot take you had. I did have a real hot one earlier about John Mitchell keeping Mike Tomlin in check. Then you had a hot one about uh, about the Eagles post game speech. That was really hot. <laughs> yeah, they had too much fun. You're like hot taking lately, man. I'm getting old. That's what it is. <laughs> this is the time of the year where there's no football anymore. You just want to throw takes out there. Not on my lawn. Did we get the hottest take of the day outro? Did we already throw that one down? No. Did you get my text, Tom? Nice. I got it. Boo, 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 boo. That was the hottest take of the day. Day, day, day. It's time for other crap. Woo! Other crap. What's your favorite beer? That was the question of the day. Yesterday's question of the day was which team? Pirates, Steelers, or Penguins would do the best job coaching themselves. Because Steve Kerr said, ah, Warriors, why don't you guys coach yourselves? And then they went out and beat the Suns by 46. Percentages favored the Penguins. 76% said the Pens would do the best coaching themselves. Pirates dead last with 20, or pardon me, 4, and the Steelers at 20%. Today it wasn't a poll. It was a question. What's your favorite beer? Because I am addicted to Guinness and I need one. I've been having dreams about them. I've been watching beer porn. And we got a lot of response. Black Cat Murphy. Murphy, baby. Let's go. He says Guinness. It's an Irish thing. Agreed. Mojinator says Modelo Negro. It's a good beer. 2018. Doug Owen says, elusive traveler. Why? You can even drink it for breakfast. Well, that's any of them. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I mean, really? As if there's a time where it's not okay to drink. It's good to drink it at breakfast. Of course it's great to drink at breakfast. If I'm on vacation and there's a beach nearby, the first thing I drink in the morning is coffee. But then the next thing I drink until sleep is beer. Yeah. And I don't drink beer with breakfast. Beer is breakfast. Oh, yeah. Like beach week in high school? I mean, the calories are from beer. That's it. Yeah, nothing solid, though. Nothing solid. No, no. Maybe a peanut butter and jelly here and there. Yeah. Iron City Mark tweets, you have it. Right in the name. Iron City Icy Light. It's a Berg thing. Nathan tweets, Amstel Light because it's light and delicious, and it's not Coors Light. Easy there in a Coors Light, okay? Coors Light's good if the mountains are blue. <laughs> okay? Amstel Light, though, my father's beer. That big fan of Amstel. I like Amstel. Uh, I drank it a lot. It's the beer that I stole from him back in the day. Yeah. Uh, I like Heineken, too. They're kind of in the same category. Heineken Heineken might be the world's most popular beer. See, yeah, and Heineken and Amstel are kind of the same thing to where, like, when you're first starting out, you know, when you're first getting after it and you're figuring out that you can get beer and drink it, like, those are the two that, like, they're top shelf. You know, the oh, Amstel yeah. Light, this guy, oh, and the Heineken, I mean, that's like, you're drinking, like, royalty when you get those two beers. Anything you got to take a bottle opener to. <laughs> oh, yeah. When you're, when you're a kid, 
I always used to get in a lot of trouble in high school. And kids, don't drink. Drinking's bad for you, especially drinking and driving. Terrible. Back in high school, it's hard to get your hands on beer, at least in my time. You got to be crafty. You got to be crafty. So we would drink a lot of liquor because you could just throw a little bit of water back in the bottle and just top that bad boy off. And that was never good. But so after that, any beer you tried was great because you're drinking shoe polish, basically. I mean, you're 16 years old and you tried gin. You could not tell me that that was not rubbing alcohol. Yeah. The first time I had gin, I spit it out the window because it's like, what the bleep is that? Tastes awful the first time. Oh, it my really God. Does. And I love gin now. Brian tweets right now. Corona, usually yingling. I don't mind yingling. It's not my favorite, but if it's dirt. I'm drinking it. The Corona thing too. A lot of people give you give you flack for it being like a cliche beer, but I'm going out on a limb here. That's a good beer during summer. Corona goes down nice, man. It really does. It does. Look, they got the cute commercials and everything. Whatever you throw lime in it, it's not all great. But Pen Pilsner is my is my summer beer. That's a good beer. Pen Pilsner is quality. Pop a few on the back porch. Hello. How about Pilsner? Uh, uh, what is it? Urquell, the Czech beer. Yeah, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. That's a good summer beer too. Peroni's pretty good in the summertime. I can't wait till it's warm enough to have outside beers. And in fact, we've talked about trying to get something going here for the show. Mm-hmm. We'll figure it out. We'll tell you what's going on tomorrow on the show. Josh Yoey maybe for an hour. We're in the works right now. Five o'clock until six. Tim Benz at six o'clock. He's filling in for Madden. He'll hop on over. Or go up the stairs and be there at 6. Looking forward to it. Remember, treat Sean White the same as you'd treat Sean Black. See you tomorrow, everybody. Crowley Show.